Hello, I'm Professor Katie Hampson and welcome to Rabies Today, a six-part series produced by United Against Rabies. In this episode, we've got some breaking news and three great guests to talk about dogs and why they're so central to controlling rabies and stopping human deaths from the disease. Gowrie Yale joins us from Mission Rabies in Goa, India. Hi, Gowrie. Hi, Katie. Happy to be here. And Ellie Hebe from ICAM, the International Companion Animal Management Coalition, is in London. Morning, Ellie. Good morning, Katie. And Dr. Thumbi Mwangi, co-director for the Centre for Epidemiological Modelling and Analysis at the University of Nairobi. Glad you could join us, Thumbi. Uh, thank you, Katie. And as always, many thanks to Dogs Trust Worldwide for supporting this podcast. Okay, we'll start with some important breaking news. You might recall in our first episode, we spoke about a pending decision by Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. Would Gavi resume their critical investment in PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis for rabies? Their decision and their investment has been on pause since COVID hit the world. The big news is that the board of Gavi have just decided to restart the programme, and we've got Bernadette Abella from WHO to update us. Bernadette, that's great news from Gavi. So what exactly does this mean now? Yes, it is truly great news. We've been waiting now since 2018 to finally start rolling out the investment of Gavi for post-exposure prophylaxis for people who have been exposed to potentially rabid dogs um, through bites. So tell us, Bernadette, um, what exactly does post-exposure prophylaxis do and why is it so important that Gavi are going to invest in it? Well, after a person has been bitten by a rabid dog, it is a race against time and vaccines stop the virus from climbing up the nervous system into the brain. So that is why post-exposure prophylaxis is truly an important pillar in the rabies program. So how, how soon do you think Gavi's PEP program might actually be rolled out? That is currently being discussed. It will be um, discussed with the multiple partners of Gavi. So we will work together with experts and with um, eligible countries to see how best to roll it out. There will be need for an introduction support for countries to take on um, rabies vaccines. And we do anticipate that the vaccines could be on the ground probably end of 2024. That's fantastic, Bernadette. I know there's a lot of work ahead, but I'm sure there's a massive motivation to the rabies community. And it's also a decision that United Against Rabies has been actively advocating for. So thank you, Gavi, from all of us working to end rabies deaths. Okay, let's get back to the main topic for today, dogs. Dogs have evolved to live with us all over the world. People have got guard dogs, working dogs used in hunting, livestock management, security, search and rescue, transport, and of course, we keep dogs as pets. There are also large numbers of free roaming dogs. Basically, wherever there are people, there are also dogs. And when it comes to rabies transmission, over 90% of human rabies infections come from the saliva of an infected dog. 
Of course, rabies exists in many other species as well, but dogs are by far the greatest source of rabies infections of humans and the global reservoir of the disease. Gauri, let's talk about India first. What's going on in India in terms of dogs and rabies? Hi, Katie. Um, so in India, the topic of rabies is hot right now. India is targeting zero by 30 and a lot of governments across the country are taking rabies control seriously. PP availability is not too much of a concern, uh, but mass dog vaccination is something that uh, people are working towards. But the source of the problems, dogs itself, has become a sensitive topic with the non-rabid bites because uh, there's a lot of mauling. Children have died in the past year and it has become a sensitive topic right now. Thanks, Gary. Uh, Thumbi, what about in East Africa and where you're based? Is it possible to generalize about the rabies situation there and about dogs in East Africa? People and dogs have a long history together. As we say, dog man's best friend. And that's not different in Africa. Unlike India, though, free roaming dogs in Africa usually will have an owner. They're just not contained. And I think this is really important to know what it means it's a lot easier to organize and to reach most of the dogs in Africa with rabies vaccinations. I think the real issue is how to organize and mount these campaigns frequently enough in all places where rabies is endemic and actually to provide enough vaccines to cover enough dogs to break the transmission chains in the dog populations in Africa. I think there's a chance here because a lot of the dogs in Africa can actually be reached, even though they are freely roaming. That's great. It sounds really positive if we can mobilize. Um, Gauri, what about you? Are you hopeful that things can also improve in India? I've seen a lot of improvement um, and initiative by various governments across India in the past seven years uh, that have been working with Mission Rabies. Um, India understands that mass dog vaccination is uh, the way to go. Mm-hmm. And even if we don't reach zero by 30, I'm hopeful that we will in the years later. So what about um, mass sterilization? What's going on there? So mass dog sterilization doesn't work. We won't be causing a dent in the dog population through sterilization. We need, we need to find a, a different technique to reduce a dog population. I think garbage is a huge factor in dog population. If dogs don't get food so easily, um, I don't think they would multiply so much and there won't be so many dogs on the street. Responsible feeding. A person who feeds should be sterilizing the dog they're feeding. Otherwise, they're helping a dog produce more puppies um, that will need food again and will make more puppies. Ellie Hibby from the ICAM Coalition, you work on cat and dog population management with partners all around the world. Can you tell us where rabies fits into that bigger picture? Sure. So uh, rabies control will most definitely be a core goal for many population management systems. And that's achieved through more than just mass vaccination. I, I guess perhaps it makes sense for me to explain what I mean by population management system. Yeah, please go ahead. So it absolutely does include mass vaccination, but it includes many other services as well. So sterilization, as Gary introduced, but also promotion of responsible ownership and responsible caring of community animals. So I very much agree with Gary that we should be more demanding 
of those feeders of community dogs. Um, we may need human behaviour change campaigns, education, legislation and community engagement. Um, I feel a challenge we face in the population management field is that there's not a single system that works everywhere. So today we've heard Gary describe the community dogs of India and uh, Thumbi described the roaming owned dogs in East Africa. And those different dog population dynamics will require a different management system. Um, I want to say that rabies goals are really important to population management because we are motivated to protect people's health, but we're also motivated by animal welfare. So in the short term, we invest in mass vaccination as high as we can get as quickly as possible. But that long game is about recognising that to achieve the goal of eliminating human deaths from canine-mediated rabies, we need to establish the utopia of a consistent high vaccination level in the dog population. And to do that sustainably, we need our dog populations to be accessible. And for each dog to have a person attached, whether an owner or a carer of a community dog, that is willing and able to access vaccination on a regular basis. We are aiming for a more sort of sustainable future where the public is pulling their weight to protect their dogs and their communities through vaccination. Where do you stand on culling, which is so often still taking place in areas with limited resources and where rabies is a problem? I mean, culling may appear a cheap option to those resource poor communities, but it can be really counterproductive. And so in the end, it's likely to cost them more. It, it's a response that I think is born out of a pressure to be seen to be doing something to appease the public. Um, also, a misunderstanding of how little it helps. And I guess a lack of knowledge about what the alternatives may be. And I, I think the access of information through the internet and education through organisations such as United Against Rabies Forum and Mission Rabies and ICAM means that those last two drivers are less prolific than they used to be. And so I see that culling globally has reduced, although depressingly culling of free roaming animals in the streets is still happening and often using very inhumane methods such as strychnine poisoning, which is being used to cull dogs in the streets of Morocco as we speak. I'm just wondering if either Gowrie or Thumbi would like to, to give any of your experiences, if you've seen culling happening or responses in communities in either India or in East Africa. Gowrie first, maybe. So culling has happened in India and it isn't a practice that is... Um, popular or is is and it is resisted um the larger population um w don't want culling to happen so when it does happen in in these incidents it, it stops immediately um, but it is something that people uh, resort to in dire straits um if you have lost uh, children or family members to, uh, to bites or to rabies um, it, I think it, it's a kind of a natural reaction of anger and uh, disrot. Can I jump in? I, I did want to just draw a distinction between culling which is that population level decision and euthanasia which is killing an animal based on a decision about that individual its current and future welfare state. So humane population management includes euthanasia, most definitely for an animal that is suffering from rabies, but also other health issues and for behavioural reasons. How about you, Thumbi? Anything further to add from Kenya? I would say culling used to be a big issue a while back, uh, but not now. They used 
compounds that 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 made the death of those dogs really uh, terrible. Uh, but thankfully, those were stopped. And as mentioned earlier, it's clear when people go into culling, they possibly are going to go for the roaming dogs, and those just get really easily replaced by by other dogs that whose territories have now enlarged. Um, I think we focus on what's the main way of reducing the risk of rabies, which is vaccination, and now that has been proven to really work well. So thanks, Zumbi. Let's look at resources. It's a critical issue, and dogs tend to fall way down the priority list of government departments. Dogs are not animals of productive value, so they're not a high priority for overstretched veterinary services. And public health services don't particularly see dogs' health as their responsibility, and environment agencies and local government may also not have any resources for this. Thumbi, do you think the Gavi decision to fund post-exposure prophylaxis could provide some kind of incentive? We, we have to remind ourselves of the public health problem of rabies that we are faced with and, and that must we must deal with here. It is the problem of tens of thousands of people dying every year from a disease passed on to people by domestic dogs. It's really a fatal that disease that is entirely preventable through vaccines. And, and these vaccines have been in existence for, let's say, more than 100 years now. Now, the Gavi decision to fund human rabies vaccines, first of all, it's a really big equity and social justice milestone. It is that which will give every child, irrespective of the socioeconomic level of the place where they are being raised, basically a life chance to make it to their next birthday should they be beaten by a rabid dog. Now, the Gavi decision, in a way, gives us a large window of chance and opportunity to deal with the root problem, which is the domestic dog that serves as the main source of uh, human rabies. And, and we think the Gavi investment must really be used to catalyze deployment of vaccination campaigns and vaccines for dog populations. These two strategies, you know, the vaccines for humans exposed to the virus and vaccinations uh, for dogs must really go and work hand in hand. At the very least, uh, we have to be responsible with our limited resources and, and, and not have an, an ending demand for human rabies vaccines if we don't address the question of dog rabies. So this one health approach is the most cost-effective way, and, and I should dare add the only sustainable way to do the public health problem of rabies. The Gavi way of providing vaccines is such that as countries graduate in their economic state, they take up those responsibilities. Any country getting this opportunity must plan ahead and start you know, minimizing the need for post-exposure prophylaxis by vaccinating dogs. It really has to catalyze dog vaccinations. Thanks, Zombie. Uh, I'm going to hand over to Ellie. What do you think is key then to getting these resources towards rabies control as well as to dog population management? Oh, thanks, Katie. And uh, 
thank you, Thumbi. I thought that was a really great answer because, as you say, the, the, there's been great studies showing how cost-effective rabies vaccination of dogs can be. When you consider how cheap dog vaccination is compared to the cost of treating someone bitten by a suspect rabid dog, it's it's better and cheaper to prevent than to cure. So um, I'm very much behind that concept of One Health. I think that really has to be our way forwards. Um, I recognise when we look at introducing dog population management with its comprehensive system of services, we bring additional costs. And I think what's important is that those costs are never covered by taking funds away from mass dog vaccination. So that has to remain a core and protected service. But what population management can do is actually bring additional funding to the table. So it can bring animal welfare benefits, it can improve public perception and safety on the streets, it can reduce livestock predation and impacts on wildlife. It can reduce dog bites, and I'm, and I'm talking here not just about those rabies motivated bites, but all those other reasons that bites occur when dogs and people share the same space and they don't always get on. So we can bring in a wider set of stakeholders and more diverse funding to develop and sustain those population management services, including that all important mass vaccination service. Thanks. Gary, how about communities? How do you think communities can be incentivized to cooperate and really participate in rabies control and surveillance, for example? Oh, this is a difficult question, Katie. <laughs> um, incentivizing... Um, Vaccination is uh, fairly uh, easy, but incentivizing surveillance and testing is quite hard. In resource-limited areas where PP um, might be a problem, people might be incentivized to get the dog that's bitten them tested so that they can decide if they want to go get their PP. But it gets worse in uh, places in India and other parts of Asia where uh, dog meat is... Um, consumed. People would rather consume the dog or sell the dog if the, if it bites them, if they find it dead, than to test them. It's not as dangerous to, I don't know if I should be saying this, it's not as dangerous to eat uh, a Arabic dog as we would think, because if you cook it properly, the virus is dead. Um, can I say that maybe some of the risks of the, the dog meat trade is not so much in the eating, but it's, it's the people that are moving the dogs and cats around. It's the people that are slaughtering and butchering them. And that movement of dogs and cats, the dog meat trade is is really quite eye-openingly vast. I mean, it's many millions and they can cross country borders, sometimes more than one country border and therefore they're moving potentially rabid dogs out of possibly rabies controlled areas into those that are not and vice versa so the challenge is in the movement it's in the killing it's and the exposure to people that are involved in that industry and of course there is a, a whole bunch of animal welfare concerns as well that I won't have time to go into today but it's a it's a significant challenge to effective rabies control. Thank you all I just thought I would swing back to Thumbi actually because in that conversation there was a lot of discussion about movement of dogs so I just wondered Thumbi if you wanted to add any last comments on the situation in in Africa about people and dogs. Thanks Katie. Um, I think you raise a good point. Uh, many of our disease control programs are often done within implementation units that sometimes are administrative, but we know that diseases really don't care for boundaries. And, and, and rabies is really a good example. 
Um, so when we think about what must we do with rabies, it, ha- it cannot be individual areas or just specific areas think about. It has to be coordinated across, you know, districts, across countries, uh, to make sure that this is achievable uh, for the different places where rabies is endemic. And, and, and the concept of dog movement or people moving with dogs must really be incorporated in our, in our decisions on how to control rabies on the continent. Thanks, Zumbi. It's another reminder that when we start dog vaccinations, we really need to scale it up. I feel we are really lucky to be working in rabies, which seems odd when we recognise that this is the most fatal virus that we know of. But we can reach herd immunity with relatively low vaccination coverage. We've got some great vaccines, some of the best that there are, and we have dogs as our host. And the majority of these dogs are accessible and the public will help us access them. So really, we've been dealt an excellent hand in disease control. So lucky us. Thanks, Ellie. You're absolutely right. We've got the vaccines. We've got access to the dogs. We just need to get them vaccinated and keep that message going, supporting our dogs to really be our friends in protecting us against rabies. That's all we actually have time for today, but many thanks to Gowry Yale from Mission Rabies, Ellie Hebe from the ICAM Coalition and Thumbi Mwangi from the University of Nairobi. And thanks again to Dogs Trust Worldwide for supporting the making of this podcast. Please let us know what you think about our conversation today or any other questions that you might have by following us on social media. Just search for Rabies Today and use the hashtag UnitedAgainstRabies. And our website, UnitedAgainstRabies.org, has lots of information and practical advice on rabies control with case studies from around the world. Next month, we're going to go local. Why fighting rabies needs to be firmly linked to local government. Until then, bye for now.